Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You are listening to the Nighttime Podcast. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to Nighttime. In tonight's episode, we're going to revisit what may be the fastest-moving story I've tried following on this show. Romana Digilo, the self-declared Queen of Canada, has somehow managed to convince her following that she is, in fact, leading this country with the help of both international partners and, well, aliens. In past Nighttime episodes, we looked at this story in a variety of ways. We discussed the fake Queen's background, We examined the attempt her followers made to arrest the Peterborough, Ontario Police Force, and we watched along with the ongoing siege of a small town in Saskatchewan that the group is currently residing in. Throughout most of those episodes, there was a bit of an undercurrent of, how can people believe this? Well, clearly Romana Digilo's followers view her as much as a religious deity as they do a political leader. And that's why when I heard a professor and a lecturer from Queen University's School of Religion published a research paper on Romana that I had to learn more. Reviving the Violet Flame examines the religious concepts and ideas that have somehow found their way into the bizarre world of Romana Digilo. And tonight, in this episode, I've invited one of its authors, Dr. Carmen Celestini, to talk us through her research into the stranger-than-fiction phenomenon. So let's get into it. Social media and mainstream media and all kinds of media couldn't remove the Chinese military. It needed someone stronger and something stronger. And so with the risk of harm to myself, my family and friends, I stood up and asked the United Armed Forces, Commander-in-Chief, and our allied forces around the world to so please do not allow Canada to fall. Aww. I said do not allow, please do not allow Canada to fall and do not allow my people to fall. I also said if Canada falls, the United States will be attacked and the world will fall. So to those who have judged me and continue to try to discredit me, enjoy your freedom. It has been returned to you. Thank you. Dr. Celestini, before we start, maybe give me a, a, a bit of introduction of, of you, what you do, what your research entails, what your focus is on. Tell me a little bit about you. 
Um, well, my area of research primarily is the overlapping belief systems of conspiracy theories and end times. So like the book of Revelation. And from that, we see that there's a lot of extremism and hate ideologies, populism, um, a lot of moral panics are attached to it. So my initial research has expanded into the realm of feminism, misogyny, and I look at disinformation, the spread of extremism and hate ideologies and conspiracy theories and how those all mold together to affect our political system in North America. Wow. In in the research you do, like are you're associated with a university or where do you do this work? I am currently a lecturer at the University of Waterloo, and I'm also a postdoc with uh, the School of Religion at Queen's University. Okay, it, it's interesting because I follow a lot of the the same stuff as you with conspiracy theories and extremism, but I, I've never thought of studying it from a religious point of view. Although I do see that a lot of these kind of groups that form and beliefs they form are a lot like. A religious ideology or a religious belief just based on the ideas of extremism and conspiracy do, do you like is that like what led you to look at these issues from a religious lens well i was very much interested in pre primarily right-wing extremism and politics and when i initially started researching i realized that while there may not be an inherent religious connection to some of these groups, they absolutely mobilize religious language. So if I was to say to you, what do you think liberation or grace means? Mm -hmm. You would have a definition of what that is, but it may not be the same as my, my own or an agrarian farmer in Peru. Mm -hmm. And so we all know it's something important and something that we need to fight for and we can recognize it. And it can bring people together under these sort of value-laden ideas, regardless of denomination or dogma. And it can mobilize people um, based on their fears, based on, you know, perhaps if their deity is not intersecting in their world, they'll look for a human-made cause for some of the problems that are happening in the world. And conspiracy theories can fill that void and really push that narrative of fear. So the interconnection is not just being based on a ultimate battle of good and evil and being on the side of the eternal, but also the language and the notions of values and morality and belief systems can absolutely play a role in the mobilization. Interesting. Now, tell me about how you came to learn of Queen Romana Digilo and, and her, I guess, following. How, do you remember first learning about this story? Yeah, I was um, I was working with um, the Disinformation Project at SFU, and I was playing around on Telegram a lot, mm -hmm. and I fell into the rabbit hole of her Telegram channel, mm -hmm. and it had so many of the conspiracy theories that I was working on. It had the Great Reset, the Blue Beam Project, you know, QAnon. It had everything I wanted, all of my favorite food groups, and. <laughs> I just found her such an interesting character and the individuals who are a part of it. So it wasn't necessarily a part of my research work at SFU, but it became sort of a hobby for me. And I just kept paying attention to it because like, it was such a fast moving change mm -hmm. and it really brings together everything I'm interested in, right? So it has extraterrestrials in it. It has all of my favorite conspiracy theories, politics, the idea of fascism. And during COVID, she played such 
an integral role for some of her community. When they were without food, she created a system of food banks with all of her followers across Canada. She did the same thing for farmers, where if farmers were looking for hay or feed, she would try to organize that, her and her main group, um, of discounted or where they could find these things for the farmers and people started coming to her almost like she was a saint right mm -hmm. they would do their prayers about what they wanted and she could do these things because she had this connection and it changed the language sometimes the way that people engaged with her so it really sort of fed into my religious aspects as well so she covered all of my favorite groups so yeah. i became addicted a little bit <laughs> I've seen her story covered by a lot of different news outlets, but what, what you did with your piece, Reviving the Violet Flame, I think is completely unique because your research study examines just that, the religious elements of her ideology, the way she speaks to her followers, the way her followers kind of band around her. When you first found this story and started getting lost in the rabbit hole, at what point did you like? Did you decide like I got to research this because this is you know the the re the religious um, language that she's using is certainly you know uh, worthy of study and unique. Like what, at what point did it go from I found a crazy story to I got to research this and explain this? Well, when I initially started going down the rabbit hole with her, I was interested in many areas. And I was sort of looking at this idea of them, her followers, venerating her almost as a saint mm -hmm. with a political connection. And then one day um, someone had asked me to write something about her. And I kept seeing that her members referred to themselves as I am. And I was like, why? So I started doing a bit of digging and I found the I am movement. And so then I used my um, my computer guru um, to download all of the stuff off of Telegram for me. And I started doing research and word searches. And so many of the words that I was looking for from this movement from the 30s and 40s absolutely existed there. And so then I went, there is something here. And mm. so then when I spoke to Amarnath about what was happening I was like this is an interesting idea and he was like wait and he looked too and then from there we just started digging and created this paper and just found more and more examples and and connections that were very interesting mm -hmm. in, in the paper is is a, a collaboration between yourself and, and another another doctor that studies the same kind of topics yes he is my supervisor for my postdoc at Queens okay. and we've worked together on a few projects and this was probably one of our first ones that we sort of both went, well, this is interesting and started engaging in it. And, and the paper came out and we're, we've done a few conference presentations on it. And, it, you know, it's one that I'm sort of proud of because I constantly say that we need to look below the salaciousness of conspiracy mm -hmm. theories and see what the injustice real or perceived is that believers are talking about and what they're really trying to address and in this way we really were able to take religion and understand what they're trying to articulate so i think you know when most people talk about the queen they think about you know her saskatchewan or her burning the flag at parliament hill during the convoys but there's something underneath that that really needs to be address for society and and what we do as a group and that's that's a part of the reason why i think a lot of people don't take this seriously is because it's on its surface it's so bizarre and in just unimaginable that it's easy to get lost in 
those aspects of it. But when you actually dig in and see what's happening, and I think that's one of the reasons why why your piece is just so effective. You talked about some of the research you did, and this is what impressed one of the things that impressed me is uh, as you mentioned there, you got a collection or got someone to copy everything that was written in her various telegram groups that Romana and her followers used to communicate in. And, and you did some data analysis of the words they're saying. But one of the things you also looked at is the frequency uh, posts are made and you've tracked like kind of the growth in the activity within the group. Tell, tell me a bit about what the data showed you about the growth and I guess just the, the amount of activity in her, in her group since the telegram channels were formed. Well, we can definitely see that there is growth. There is a bit of a decline right now, but the number of posts continue to grow. And mm -hmm. I think that that is inherent to these kind of mobilizations where, you know, while they have a charismatic leader, it is a community that mm -hmm. comes together. And that community is having conversations about shared beliefs, shared problems, shared discussions. And so from those posts, we can actually find out much more about what sort of needs that um, she is addressing for these individuals. And so a lot of the posts, you know, are a bunch of memes about I am and grand rising and, you know, sort of fluff pieces. But there are things in there that talk about politics. You know, we mm -hmm. talk about they talk about immigration. There are some notions of racism that are appearing in there with the immigration conversations, talking about, you know, how to deal with economics, how to deal with, you know, um, integrating their beliefs and their understandings of the world with their friends and family who have disassociated from them. Mm -hmm. And so it provides a, a very broad window into looking into a group and a movement and how communities are built and what they are um, interacting about. Mm -hmm. And that is where we need to do the research. Absolutely. Yeah, when I read through your piece, one of the concepts that were new to me is what you refer to as uh, conspiratorial convergence. Um, I, I, I understand the concept and I think in my head, I, I understand this idea that someone is able to kind of combine these different these different conspiracy theories but i've never seen it seen it like defined and discussed the way you did in in, in your piece could you just tell me a bit about conspiratorial convergence and how that is relevant to queen romana's story well if full disclosure this is amarnath's um concept mm -hmm. it is a brilliant concept mm -hmm. and what it is is this idea so if you think about in the 1970s, if someone was and, you know, thought the moon landing was a hoax, they wouldn't necessarily engage with somebody who was an anti-vaxxer or a JFK um, more than one shooter sort of idea. But what we're seeing and what we have been seeing is that conspiracy theories are coming together. So during COVID, someone who was an anti-vaxxer prior to the pandemic, you know, probably wouldn't have engaged with somebody who was, you know, um, an Illuminati idea. And so what's happening is that these conspiracy theories are finding commonalities and links and understandings, and they're coming together almost in a hierarchical format, right? They're all nested into each other. So these worldviews that are quite varied 
are finding commonalities within disparate conspiracy theories, but there are commonalities and it's affecting politics. It's affecting, you know, moral panics. So we can link some of this to the groomer ideas or the anti-CRT movement um, against education and elites and the media. And they're all coming together and linking in various ways while they still hold different beliefs and, you know, the different conspirators who might be the cabal doing this there are commonalities in there. And also within those commonalities are the injustices or the real or perceived or the fears, because fears are such an important part of conspiracy theories. And this idea of being disenfranchised from the institutions of society, politically, media, and looking for um, voices that reflect their own and their own opinions, creating sort of these bubbles. And they're coming together and affecting our politics. So, you know, we can see you know, in so many ways, especially with Romano Di Dio, that we see that, you know, she her conspiracies engage with the Great Reset, the Great Replacement, um, ideas of anti-immigration, ideas of, you know, universal basic income, healthcare, media, all of these things that, you know, are sort of like the core words for a lot of conspiracy theories and fears are being articulated within her realm and through a political means by giving her this sort of monarchy of Canada and Canada to, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, to me, it's fascinating that she was able to take all these different concepts and form it into one at least somewhat cohesive narrative. And it's something that I, I think has kind of happened over time. I question whether it was by her design or if it was just the result of her community kind of like throwing stuff against the wall and seeing what sticks and eventually, you know, just going with it. But maybe you could tell me a little bit about, uh, you went through Romana's history. How do you see her, her group kind of take shape in terms of the ideology over the years? Like what did you see in terms of uh, change and development within the ideas from her starting uh, as I think it was called Canada First, a political party, uh, to up until present, where they're you know at a school in Saskatchewan with a bunch of RVs. Like, well, how did how do you see the evolution of the ideas? Well, I think that fundamentally she came from a QAnon background, right? And so she was part of that community of QAnon, which also has um, a convergence of conspiracy theories, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we see many of the same ideas, um, the same themes and tropes in in QAnon. But what we can see is that from her, you know, once Q stopped posting, influencers had to make a, a, a rule in all of this. They had to keep that narrative going. And so influencers played um, a significant role in keeping QAnon alive, but also within Queen Romano Di Dio because they validated mm-hmm. some of her, you know, articulations. And, you know, her starting off with politics and saying that she was going to run for the prime minister seems inherent to what she's doing, right? We have this political trope that is throughout all of the conspiracy theories and her role. And I think as she started getting traction and influencers validated who she was and what she was doing, I think a lot of Canadians um, became more incorporated in her conspiracy because it was more home-based. So Mm -hmm. QAnon, although is very much started as an American concept, I mean, as you know, has spread internationally and, you know, there's huge components in Italy and other places in the world, but because the internet is borderless, right? So these ideas are things that can take hold whatever nation you're in. And I think because it was purely Canadian, people started getting involved and paying attention Mm -hmm. to it. 
And then I think a catalyst is also the pandemic Mm -hmm. with so many in the world being locked down. All of our engagement was on social media. And, you know, that's how we could talk to people at three o'clock in the morning. That's how we could make community and articulate the things that we were afraid of or just, you know, interaction. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, there is this, mainstreaming of conspiracy theories that is happening where um, the media will talk about it because it's absolutely newsworthy because it will have an impact on society. But if you're curious, you start playing around and you start engaging in some of these conversations. I think also with her was what was happening with social media itself, right? So if we think about you know, this idea of shadow banning on Twitter now X, a lot of people who are influencers um, said, oh, we're leaving this platform and we're going to go over here to Parlor. And then everyone, they made this motion that they were going there. So a lot of people were like, oh, this is a censorship thing that's happening on Twitter. I, you know, I don't support censorship, so I'm going to move over to Parlor. And then when Parlor was shut down after January 6th, oh, there is a huge migration of people over to Telegram. And I think that once you get into Telegram, it's so easy with so much of the cross-posting within the channels that people jumped in, would click and become a part of this and start engaging in it. So even if some people went in very skeptical, they were at least curious. And so some of the ideas and conversations and community can affect people's understandings. And if you're afraid you'll engage with it Mm -hmm. and so I think that there is like this you know um, convergence of things that all happen at the same time that really push that narrative I mean she's pretty good at marketing herself too right I mean jumping in on the freedom convoy and starting her RV convoy and going there and making her presence known you know I think that she absolutely um, got more notoriety for that and I think um, although her numbers are dropping, I still think that she's an important component to what's happening. Certainly. Now, I, I want to hear about some of the religious, um, I guess, ideas of the past that have found their way into uh, in, into Q, uh, Queen Romana in her community. Now, you mentioned earlier that her followers, they refer to themselves as I am's. And I, I thought that was something unique to, to their group. It wasn't until I read your paper that the I am movement is, is, is its own thing from, like you said earlier, like from the thirties or forties or something. I, I don't know how it's found its way into Queen Romana's uh, ideology, but maybe tell me a bit about the I am movement and how that, if you know, how that became a part of what Queen Romana does. I will start off by saying I am absolutely unsure and cannot prove how it got into her realm, but um, there are so many, um, connections, that there has to be something there. Um, So the I Am movement was a movement that was started by Guy Ballard in the 1930s and 40s. And according to him, he was on Mount Shasta in California and had an interaction with um, St. Germain. And St. Germain um, explained to him that there are these masters, ascended masters, who have been involved in humanity, trying to sort of put us on the right path throughout time. So examples of that would be Jesus, uh, Buddha, George Washington, and they they would come and make changes and trying to help humanity. This idea of um, that, not necessarily reincarnated, but they sort of sleep and then they can rise up as a different character to help okay. humanity. Took him on all these travels and showed him abundance of wealth. Um, something that is very similar to what Queen Romano talks about um, with med beds. 
that these chairs that you could go in that would cure your cancer or cure whatever ailments you may have. And this harnessing of vibrations and chanting through decrees. Mm -hmm. And so um, Guy and Edna Ballard, his wife, um, started this movement. And it's based on um, the Sothony, um, which is uh, Blavatsky's idea of mixing sort of Eastern religions and Western religions and ideas of extraterrestrials together. Mm -hmm. And so what Guy and Edna did was they started creating these conspiracy theories. They did work with some um, white nationalist groups um, and developed this idea. When Guy Ballard passed away, um, obviously things changed. So people started separating and creating their own groups. And one of the individuals who did that was Mark Prophet. And Mark Prophet started his own um, church, uh, very much based on um, Guy Ballard's ideas. Now, Guy Ballard also put in nationalism and this idea that America would become the ultimate version of what humanity would strive for in, in a, a nation and that a ascended master would become the president of America. Well, Mark Prophet built on these ideas and brought in a lot more conspiracy theories and darkness and fear and really amped up the nationalism aspect. He ended up marrying this woman named Elizabeth Clare Prophet. And when Mark passed away, Elizabeth Clare took over and she changed their church to the Church Universal and Triumphant. And with that, she continued to spread conspiracy theories and ideas of fear and nationalism. But her decrees changed. They stopped being, you know, um, prayers for intercepting into world to pay our bills or bring peace or bring these other things. She started making them somewhat violent, actually calling for harm to the president and the first lady at that point in time. And these ideas of nationalism became very important to them. And she ended up getting a bus and traveling around America and making pleas and trying to convert people to be a part of her church. Eventually she made a proclamation, a prophecy, that there would be a nuclear war at a certain time and a certain day. And she had bought this um, significant hunk of land in Montana and they built tunnels under the ground, her and her followers. They all came, they moved in underground. Now her husband at the time was also arrested before they went under for having weapons that um, he should not have had. And they went underground, lived there for a short time period. When they came out, nuclear war hadn't happened. <laughs> and so some of them were like, oh, crap, what do we do? They left because they had sold all of their belongings or homes and everything so that they could come and be a part of this tunnel life. And um, she lost a lot of members, but she continued and she continued prophesying, continued with her church. And, um, you know, you can still see a lot of these churches, a lot of IM churches, a lot of CUT wow. branches around North America. There does happen to be one in Victoria, BC, Ooh, which is from. interesting, but um, we couldn't find a you know a absolute proof that there is this connection. But you can see that you know Romana's ideas of oh um, Saint Germain only would tell them to focus on the violet flame and the color purple was the vibrational level that they needed to attain this world peace and happiness with decrees and ascend to themselves. So we see that if we look in Romana Dio's members things, that they talk about the violet flame, that they talk about the color purple obviously is very important to her and her movement. 
And a lot of um, her messages are decrees. That's what she calls them, which is mm-hmm. the foundational um, prayer system or engagement system of both of the Church of United, Universal and Triumphant and the I Am. Yeah, it's interesting because when I hear, oh, when I hear decree, I'm thinking more like a political, legal kind of thing. But when I when I learn about the I Am movement, it's you know it's the same language taking from that. Also with Romana, just as you mentioned, I was always confused. Like, does she just like purple? Why is purple <laughs> such a big part of this? But it seems to be taken right from this prior movement. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's fascinating, and they do talk about. Um, you know, ascended masters. And she herself says that she is an ascended master and a shapeshifter and that she was woken to come to Canada to, you know, change the world and make Canada 2.0 with the kingdom of Canada. So a lot of her narrative that she has created about her own beginning very much matches some of these ideas as well. Wow. But what I wonder is, is with Queen Romana, is is this all deliberate? Like, is when you look at her beliefs and the way the community refers to their ideology does it seem like they did almost like a copy and paste or can can these things just naturally form in such a coincidental way to prior movements like that's what i wonder if it's a if it's a planned deliberate thing i can't 100 percent say either way because you know we don't actually i mean she the queen has made up her own background, right? We don't know how much of that is just her imagination, which I think is a significant amount personally. Um, and, you know, what is real, um, we don't know her interactions prior to starting Canada First. And, you know, there are some ideas and tropes of these movements within QAnon. So did she pick it up from QAnon and then, you know, build on it and expand on it within her movement? Is it something that she practiced or engaged with and knew well and started using it as a mobilization technique? It's hard to call, Mm -hmm. but um, I think that absolutely um, it's hard to dismiss the coincidences and commonalities. This is you view many similar and religious movements in the in the history of how they form and how they operate. So you, you certainly have a, a well informed position to speculate from. Where where would you see a group like this, like Queen Romana's, going in the future? Like what options or possibilities do you see for the future of this? Uh, it, again, mean, drawing be, from other similar situations. There could be numerous options. I mean, I think that you know there is the small possibility that they all go, okay, this is it, we're done. None of the things that are happening are real. We're out um, and things could fall apart with just a small core group. Um, it could blossom into something a little more negative. Um, we could see, you know, with especially Saskatchewan, they seem very unhappy with her being there, the community. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, will there be some type of retaliation or something going on there? Um, we haven't seen any violence or um ideas of that. I mean, even prior to us starting this, we were talking about them trying to arrest the police officers. Um, you know, a lot of the people in her group at that point in time were like, should we really try to police off arrest police officers or armed? What about if we go for educators or healthcare workers? They're unarmed, you know, it's a little yeah. safer. Yeah. Um, so I think there, you know, there is some of that reality. It could be something that people just hold on to. And it becomes this little branch. And I mean and fizzle just exist mm-hmm. um she could start making prophecies and things could change and you know maybe like elizabeth claire prophet she'll call and say something dramatic is going to happen and her followers could react 
Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, because that's that's one thing she hasn't really done is like uh, uh, she claims to have this great knowledge of from the world leaders and extraterrestrials, but she has never really said, you know, this is going to happen in the future. And yeah, maybe that could be an interesting next step. I think anything is possible. Uh, you it, like truth is truly stranger than fiction when you look at stories like the Queen Romana Digilo movement it's it's just fascinating and it's very hard to look away from because it's ever changing and ever evolving it seems to me um let me ask you though with that said how how busy and complicated her story is what does your future hold for as far as research with queen romana do you expect to revisit this topic oh absolutely i mean i i'm sort of like a moth to the flame when it comes to the queen i'm always in there playing and um it, you know, her members and her followers uh, post some interesting ideas and concepts. And I think that from the basis of her, there are other ideas that I would like to research. Um, we see, you know, um, this convergence of other conspiracy theories. And we're also seeing like the role of um, of politics in different ways playing mm -hmm. it coming in, right? We see her decrees and her members talking about Sogi and the groomer moral panic. We see them talking about anti-immigration ideas here in Canada and, you know, and trying to get some type of, um, she has put decrees out, but like, how do those things get answered um, for these members? And, you know, where does that lead them in their mm -hmm. own sort of rabbit hole kind of thing? Mm -hmm. So I think my research would probably be far more about that. Unless of course she does something absolutely exciting like prophecy or something which will change my direction. <laughs> But, yeah, but even just like in, in the most fundamental uh, way, thinking of the religious aspects of Queen Romana, uh, she has all of these decrees and rules and stuff that she makes up that nobody outside of her community seems to know about or care about, yet her community has devote, devoted faith that she is who she claims to be and they are willing to stand behind her. And that seems to be kind of like the 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 foundational kind of religious aspect of this is she is as much a religious leader as she is a political or activist absolutely. leader absolutely and i think that you know she responds to many of their needs so sometimes if um we think about if you interpret the world as being in a disaster and one bad thing happening after another, which when we look at the world around us right now, it's kind of hard not to think mm -hmm. about that I, that concept. If you are religious, you can turn to your deity or turn to your God with prayers and ask for why is this happening or some type of um, you know engagement from that deity to stop this perpetual sense of da uh, disaster and chaos. And you know, when that doesn't happen, then you turn to humanity and, you know, the humanity become the cause of, but also the resistance to this disaster. And I think that Romana uniquely has put herself where she puts out these decrees and, you know, like, I'm going to end the mandates, all mandates for COVID are going to end. And, you know, while the trajectory was already on that, you know, movement. And then when it does end, they're all like, oh my God, you did this Romana, like the queen ended the mandates. Um, you know, she'll talk about the weather, but rather than look at what's happening with the climate crisis, they'll be like, thank you for making Alberta so warm. You actually did this, you know. So I think that, you know, the response to changes or what they're looking for, she articulates that. And she has this um, unique ability to be like, see, I told you this would happen, mm -hmm. where I think that anybody who was paying attention would also be able to say, yes, I think that this is going to happen. But rather than 
um, looking at the reality about why those um, things have happened or changes have happened, they, they put the onus on her for having done. Mm -hmm. And she but, absolutely accepts that. Certainly. But at the same time, she is um, encouraging the uh, stopping paying, you know, mortgages and power bills and all this sort of thing. So there's like the harmful aspect of it that is uh, not working out for her followers, but that never seems to come back on her. Like they seem uh, for the most part, her followers seem to be blaming the banks for repossessing their house. Absolutely. So, I mean, if you think about you know, the numerous individuals who have claimed that the world is going to end on this day, the rapture is going to happen, or the world is going to end, and it doesn't happen. It doesn't mean that their followers walk away. Mm -hmm. A lot of the followers will be like, oh, you just did the math wrong, or, you know, you didn't understand this, but, you know, it's going to come in the future. We know that this is going to happen. A lot of groups that are engaged in this, um, in these type of movements, will either separate from society, or they will form some type of resistance against society. And I think that we're seeing her members sort of pulling away from society, absolutely, mm -hmm. but wanting to affect society. So, and, you know, they have both the religious and the monarchy behind them, right? So they can do this thing. If they all concentrate their vibrations and push away the negativity, they can force change. And that change, you know, is med beds. That change is universal basic income. That is meeting their moral and value ideals that they are holding. Um, it may not necessarily come to fruition because don't forget there are the bad guys who are out there who are, you know, stopping these powerful movements. Sure. Or, or trying to discredit our queen. And one of the ways uh, Queen Romana's people uh, prevent uh, the bad guys of getting in the way of the queen's important work is by use of cease and desist letters. It seems like if you write anything about negative about the queen that gets spread around a little bit, you may find yourself the target of one of her uh, pseudo legal cease and desist letters. So I have to ask you, have you received anything yet? Not yet. I keep trying, but I have not gotten one. Um, I do have a frame ready in my office. Should I get one? Um, but um, apparently she has posted some of the news information articles that I've done um, within her Telegram group. But I don't think I've poked the bear enough yet that I okay. can see some. Well, here's hoping. Before we wrap it up, though, for people who want to read uh, Reinventing the Violet Flame, I believe is the title for your, mm -hmm. for your piece. Where do they find it? Um, if you have academic access, you can find it through um, journals, or um, you could also find it on um, Dr. Amr Singh's um, academia.edu page and on my website as well, carmenchelestini.com. Perfect. And I'll include a link in the episode description because although it's an academic paper, it's uh, an idiot like me can read it. I read it and I found it, I enjoyed it, found it fascinating and followed along with the ideas you were presenting. So it's not just for the academics to, uh, to read. It's 24 pages. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's not so deep that an uninformed person would not be able to follow along with uh, the points you make. Well, thank you. Um, and don't denigrate yourself. Come on. It's, you totally know lots about this topic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I can, I can act the part. <laughs> well, we'll start wrapping this up. This was, it was fascinating to hear her story examined in the unique way you have. Cause again, like we said at the beginning, it's easy to get tied up with the, and caught up in the more salacious aspects. But when you really pull it apart and look at what's going on, and especially from a religious point of view, it is truly fascinating 
and unique and again evidence that the truth is far stranger than fiction thank you I want to thank you for joining Dr. Celestini and I for our discussion. If this topic has interested you, I encourage you to read through Reviving the Violet Flame. I've linked to it in this episode's description. And to Romana's followers, if you're listening, please send the good doctor a cease and desist letter. It's the least you can do for all her hard work. And now with all that said, I'm going to wrap up this episode, but before I do, let me end with some thanks. First, a big thanks to Dr. Carmen Celestini for sharing an evening with me and with you, the listeners of Nighttime. I'd like to thank LJ from the Dystopian Simulation Podcast, who provides the intro and outro voiceovers, and Monty Data, who contributes the music for this series. And then lastly, but most importantly, a massive thank you goes out to each and every one of you listening to Nighttime, as without your interest and your support, this show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. And on the topic of support, let me thank the newest subscribers to the premium feed. Kathy, Johanna, and Rob, thank you for going premium. And for anyone else who'd like to support the show, you can help us out here in a variety of ways. First of all, a premium feed subscription costs just a couple dollars a month, and that money funds the creation of the show. But the premium feed also gives you the episodes two days early, gives them to you ad-free, and gives you access to a full back catalog of nighttime episodes. That sounds like something you're interested in. You can go premium right now at patreon.com slash nighttime podcast. And even if you don't want to listen on the premium feed, you can still support the show by simply sharing this episode on social media and letting all your like-minded friends know what we're doing here. Your support in growing this is very much appreciated. So now to wrap it all up, let me just remind you, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight. Let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte. Hello, Jordan. I was just listening to your piece on uh, the Queen of Canada. There's a couple of things that strike me as odd. Number one, she says she's the Queen of the Kingdom. Like, really? The Kingdom? And number two... The fellow that went to the RCMP to report Tom uh, went to the RCMP to report Tom, and apparently they have more power than the RCMP. So these things kind of puzzle me as to what their motives actually are. Anyways, I just thought I would drop that by you. Bye. Today I'd like to speak with you about the unlawful and criminal vaccinations specific to our children and youth. First, let me be very, very clear. Do not underestimate my resolve when it comes to protecting these children and youth because you will be put through Nuremberg trial for crimes against humanity And once you have been convicted, you will receive not one, but two bullets on your forehead for each child that you have harmed. So when you go home, think of how many bullets are going through your forehead. 
think very, very carefully before you touch that needle and inject it into a child of this republic.